to a special, unique episode of The Goods, a film podcast. So a little less than a week ago, Brian and I, for the fourth winter in a row, the fourth December in a row, discussed a platter of adaptations of A Christmas Carol, the Charles Dickens novella that's been adapted a bajillion times. And, you know, we were thinking we're kind of hot stuff because... We have watched and talked about 16 different Christmas carols. I've also reviewed a small few others on my Letterboxd account. And, you know, we're like, all right, we, we know what we're talking about. We've, we've seen it all, you know. And then I started clicking around other adaptations of A Christmas Carol on Letterboxd. And there's just one, this one name that just kept showing up on the reviews, this one user. And he talked about doing a Christmas Carol marathon. The one that we specifically saw, and I think we came across at about the same time, was this is my hundredth Christmas Carol. <laughs> so all of a sudden now we're feeling like dinguses because we, we think we're hot stuff and this dude's watched a uh, hundred or more Christmas Carols. So I, I reached out to this guy and he agreed to hop on a call with us because we got to know, we got to come in and know better the man who's seen more than 100 Christmas carols. So this gentleman, Ben Stanley, uh, he's got a TikTok account. He's got a couple other things. So welcome to the pod, Ben. Why don't you introduce yourself to, to me and Brian and the listeners? Yeah. Uh, so my name is Ben Stanley. I don't know how to describe myself. <laughs> um, uh, I guess mostly what I'm known for on the internet is I'm an artist. I do a lot of movie related artwork. Basically, my style is I hand write out scripts into the shape of something from a movie and into a poster. And so that's kind of what I'm most known for. But in the past, I don't know, five, six years, I've become, you know, a big movie lover. And so I only just got onto the letterbox earlier this year. But while I'm working on my posters and I'm lettering them, hand, doing it by hand, I can watch movies at the same time or watch TV or, or something. And so I had this idea to do to watch all the Christmas Carol movies a couple of years ago and then it didn't happen. But then this year, I just had the sudden urge. It was back in mid-September. I said, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it. I got to start now. So I was able to, to pile through them and I had a big, a lot of big projects coming up uh, before Black Friday. And so that's what I've been doing. And then since Thanksgiving, I've been posting two or three reviews a day. The idea originally was to do like a giant ranking for YouTube. I don't know if I have time to do that this year. I may eventually, but I've been doing many reviews and I've been, as I've been watching all of them, have been rating them on the same aspects so regardless of how loose of an adaptation it is or anything like that, they're all going to be graded on the same things. And so the idea was to make a ranking. And so I guess kind of how my brain works is like I don't have a, a reason to do something like this unless I have something I'm going to create as part of it. Otherwise, I probably would have lost interest after about 10. So, yeah, I, that, that's how I've been going through all my grading here. So what are those metrics that you're looking at? So each of them are were graded on... 100 point scale 
based off of 10 different metrics. I love it. I'm in. So these are the 10. So the first one is faithfulness, faithfulness to the original book, um, because that's really just been the biggest passion of mine is how accurate you can make it to the book. And then creativity, uh, script slash pacing is a big one. And then the Scrooge or Scrooge adjacent. So that's both the performance of the actor, but also the way he's written or she and is part of the story there. And then all the ghosts, same thing, actor portrayal and writing all the supporting characters. So that's your Cratchits, your Freds, etc. And then the overall production value. I base that off of the kind of movie it is, right? Because a silent film obviously is going to be different from, a ballet music and that's either the score or if it's a musical the songs as part of it overall entertainment value which is almost certainly the most subjective on all of these just how entertaining i find it and then the last one is how well it sticks to dickens spirit of the novel and the reason that dickens wrote it the purpose of the story basically that being like a class commentary yeah yeah the, the class commentary also Really, redemption is the biggest theme and humanism, uh, humanism. And then a big part of the story that a lot of people don't know about is Dickens wrote the story in a lot of ways to bring attention to poor and needy children specifically, which is the purpose of having Tiny Tim and is also the purpose of ignorance and want. And in some ways, it's kind of the purpose of showing Scrooge as, as a boy. And so if there was something that leaned into that or involved that in some way, it kind of got extra points there. So it was kind of equally weighted, but then I put a little bit more weight on the faithfulness, a little bit less weight on the music. And so that's kind of how I made my formula here. I like it. That's good. So it's like systematic, but it has room for like subjectivity and things that excite you in there. So I think that's good. Yeah. And part of the reason why I wanted to do this is because I not like I don't like to toot my own horn, but I feel I'm one of the most qualified people to do this. The biggest reason is because prior to this marathon, I had only seen four films on this list and I had only ever seen one prior to a couple of years ago. Like I didn't grow up watching any one of these movies. I grew up going to a lot of theater. I did a lot of theater in high school. My family always did theater. And so there's probably 10 times more theatrical adaptations than there are film ones. So I grew up going to play versions and I think it was in middle school. We had to study Christmas Carol as part of like English class. And so I kind of became a stickler of like, oh, well, you know, he doesn't actually visit Cratchit on Christmas day and like all these sort of things. So every time I saw a play, I saw, and then the Jim Carrey, Robert Zemeckis film from 2009 came out when I was 14 and I remember that was the year – I think that was the, the same year we were studying the book. And I saw that movie and I was like, this is – they used the book as a screenplay. I'm like, this is this is amazing that how, how accurate it is. And so – but the point is the Jim Carrey one came out when I was in middle school. So it's not like I have a film version I watched over and over as a toddler. That's just one that I was most familiar with. But most of these I hadn't seen – majority I hadn't heard of. I didn't realize – how like the kind of nostalgia that people have for some of these. So I could rate them as objectively as I could because I didn't have nostalgia for almost any of them. But then I also, because of my theatrical background, I have a affinity and appreciation for different 
types of theater. So I understand what makes a good musical and I know how to appreciate a ballet and I know how to appreciate opera. It's, you know, not something I've participated in, but it's something I know how to appreciate. And then I also am a big animation nerd and like probably I think 20 of these are animated. And so I know what makes for good animation, etc. I like that you shouted out the Jim Carrey one, which is one that we've seen. And when we watched it, we also we read the book together and we kept being struck by like they have the fiddler falling into the punch bowl. And like there's a sentence in the book, the fiddler falls into a punch bowl. Right. Seriously, there's so many things like that, like in the very opening scene, like the I think maybe on the first page of the book, they say that even the blind man's dog knew to pull his owner into the doorway when they saw Scrooge coming. And there are multiple versions I've seen that include a blind man having a dog, but that like the Jim Carrey one literally has the dog pulling him into a doorway. Like they, so many of these like tiny details, they get correct in that one. So give us a few of your favorites. You've seen a hundred of them. What are like the heavy hitters? Like if you're, if someone's saying 130 at this point, 130, <laughs> my God. So someone comes up to you and they say, Hey, I've heard of a Christmas Carol. I know there's ghosts. But I don't really know much about it. What what should I get started with? What are like the the core the key texts to a movie fan who wants to to experience a Christmas Carol? So I'm still kind of formulating my top ten because, like, I'm going back and forth on it. But I think there's undoubtedly a top three, and whichever order you put it in kind of depends on the person. But in my mind, 2009 with Jim Carrey and the Muppet Christmas Carol both ranked the highest and they tied but both have i think kind of glaring uh faults in them with jim carrey's it's the dated animation it was obviously very revolutionary for the time but if that film came out five years later it probably would have looked phenomenal um and then there's also very very unnecessary i, I think they kind of drop the ball on the entire yet to come sequence the chase scene and everything was not done well and then The Muppet Christmas Carol is obviously extremely good, but they make a lot of changes to the story so that it fits around the already existing Muppet characters. That's kind of a problem I have. And then also it's a lot lighter than th what the story actually is. Most people don't understand how dark the book is. So both in terms of like technicality and my ranking, those two are on top. But I think what my, my, what my gut tells me is that the number one is the 1999 version with Patrick Stewart. Whoa, curveball. I haven't seen that one. Really? I've seen George C. Scott. I've seen yeah. a few other drama, straight drama ones, but I have not seen the 99 one with Patrick Stewart. What about you, Brian? I have seen Patrick Stewart. What I thought was revolutionary about that one was it has the scene where present flies Scrooge out to the ship. And so that's one that I've almost never seen. Yes. It's one of, I think... I think only three versions of the entire marathon have included that detail. And it was funny because I actually didn't know. So uh, I read the book twice as part of this marathon. I've probably read it 10 times in my life, but I read it before I started the marathon. And then about halfway through, I reread it to refresh myself. So when I watched the Patrick Stewart one and they did the whole thing where he flies around to the different countries and everyone's singing their own language and stuff, I'm like, this is a really great way to, you know, communicate this message. And then I reread the book like a week later. I'm like, oh, that's actually literally out of the book. I, did, I didn't realize that. <laughs> While I think that Jim Carrey's and The Muppets are technically better films, I think the Patrick Stewart one does the best at capturing the story and has some of the best performances 
and overall is the least problematic, I guess. Interesting. Yeah, that's going to the top of my watch list now. I got to catch up with that one. I should rewatch it. I, I've been watching Muppet Christmas Carol today, actually, and I think that one is probably top of the heap for me. Just I really love the production value and the score. Right. That's my number one, too. All right. So I have this I have this love-hate relationship with the Muppet Christmas Carol at this point. So there seems to be this discourse on the internet that it is unfallibly the best version, unquestionably, and not just the best version, that it is the most faithful to the book. That's the line I hear a lot, and it bugs the crap out of me. That's odd. I've seen three or four like video essays on this topic. I read a 10-page academic dissertation on this last week. And what frustrates me is that as I said already, The Muppets is one of the best ones, if not the best one. But there's like this toxic positivity around it where people won't even care to listen to you to say anything else. I mean, I've I've made 20 review videos at this point and every single one people are like, well, we all know Muppets is the best. And people are even saying like, why did you even waste your time watching 130 movies when we already know The Muppets is the best? Or it's just so frustrating. It's so... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Toxic positivity around The Muppets. That's... I feel like that's counter to the spirit of Jim Henson. That's my feeling. Exactly. And so and that's the thing is like I say love hate because I say it's one of the best, but it it bugs me what people say. So here here's the problem I have with the Muppet Christmas Carol. And this is my hot take that I know I'm going to have the pitchforks are going to come out by saying it. But it's not the most faithful because it has to mold the story around the Muppet characters. And some people have said that that works to their advantage. I, the, the, the dissertation had an entire section about how using existing characters to tell the story, like, because you already know the characters, you kind of have an understanding of what the characters like. But that may work for some of them. But, like, I can't get over splitting the character of Jacob Marley in half to fit Stafford and Waldorf. And also... I didn't grow up watching the Muppets. Like I, I was born in the mid nineties. And so I never, I've never seen the Muppet show. I know who the Muppets are because of their permanence in pop culture. I don't know that I've seen another Muppet movie. And so to me, who have really don't really know who Stafford and Waldorf are, are, that doesn't make any sense. And also like, okay, did they die at the same time? Like, how did that work? <laughs> Marley conspiracy. Seriously. That's always been a question. Maybe they had a suicide pact together. One one Marley goes down, the other's got to go too. Because Scrooge still says they died the same this very day, seven years ago. Oh man! And Gonzo says, like at the beginning when Gonzo's like the Marleys are dead, I'm like, what? <laughs> it's very confusing. Yeah, the Marleys are dead. I never thought about that, but that's a very good. That's a plot hole. We discovered the plot hole because it's a it's Muppets. They can't do the really dark parts. The fact that there is a complete exclusion of ignorance and want has always been an issue with me. Literally, you get an, in my ranking system, you get a there's an entire point dedicated to whether or not you include ignorance and want. Can you sorry, can you just remind me when you say ignorance and want, what is that like a line or is that a character? Those are the skeletal children under the robe of present. They're like clinging oh, to his knees. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I pointed it out as like a weird beat. That's right. Yeah. It is weird. And I don't love the way that the Jim Carrey one does it. But that was, like I said, part of Dickens' purpose was to bring light to impoverished children. And it's also symbolic of in order to have your transformation, you need to let go of 
ignorance to other people, and your own personal desires. It's a very important theme. And so the fact that present is like, all right, good luck, bye. You kind of see some gray in his beard, but like they don't have the whole thing about how he's literally dying. So that's that's kind of just my rant about the Muppet Christmas Carol. All future adaptations that I watch are going to get bumped up if they have ignorance and want. It's going to be the Ben Stanley boost if they have ignorance and want. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you came in with something that is like, it's kind of like uh, in the weeds of what a, a Christmas Carol fan would be all about, you know? A deep cut. Yeah. So my own background, Ben, I'm the one who's been bringing all these to our discussion. All these being a grand total of 16 so far. Nowhere near what you've been pulling off. But it's a story that's been with me for a long time. I do like some theatrical adaptations. There's a guy down in Williamsburg where I went to college who every year does a one-man production out of a stage that he built in like a little trailer that you can pull in a car and like unfolds into a little stage. Williamsburg, Virginia? Yes, I'm in Virginia. Oh, okay. I lived in Virginia for a couple of years. Oh, so. well, yes. Yeah, so uh, it's called the Virginia Theater Machine. And I'm actually going to go down this weekend and see it this year. Oh, nice. But it'll be the uh, the 12th year that he's done it, that I've seen it. And what's cool is that he kind of does world building. Like the first year that he ever did it, the shtick was he was going to do it in 15 minutes and see if he could. And then it actually took more than 15 minutes and he like has a breakdown and like the guy who is the stage manager that he's been yelling at the whole show comes out and he's like, no, it's going to be okay. And basically the, the meta game of it is that the stage manager is the Cratchit. And so then he learns to be nice to the stage manager and like be a team player. And then he promotes the st the stage manager to like have a role in the production. And then I thought the next year it'd be exactly the same, but now the stage manager has the role in the production and they're like hassling somebody else and it just evolves from year to year. And so I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a story that is well known enough that you can do antics like that, which is why basically any version that has come out probably since 2010 has not tried to be a direct adaptation because we have enough good ones that, like you have the movie that came out last year, the Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell movie, that's kind of a quasi-sequel spin on it, um, which I think is fantastic. We actually just talked about that one in our, our version for this year, which will be coming out just a little before this interview does, but yeah. Yeah, and so I guess what I mean is everyone knows the story, so you can do kind of fun things with the theater like that because it's like it's not shocking what's going to happen next. Um right. All of the silent film versions that I re that I watched and reviewed, most of them require the audience to know the story already. Mm. You'd be very confused otherwise. And so I think with with a lot of the adaptations that take it with like a new character or put it in a modern day or something like that, you know the story beats. So it's kind of interesting to see how they're going to make it work for that character. Like one of the last ones I watched just a, like last week, I think, was A Diva's Christmas Carol which was a TV movie that apparently a lot of people are nostalgic for. And that one worked because it was this character of like this pop star who, you know, was really overworked her crew and stuff like that. And so, but she was her own character. And so, but she had an assistant named Bob and the same kind of plot beats, but it's like, okay, what, how are they going to show her her future? How are they going to show that she's redeemed? It's like, you know, what's coming, but to make it interesting, you have to see like how it's going to fit that character. Right. Variations on a theme. That's what kind of brings out the fun. There you go. Yeah. 
What are what are some oddball ones out there? It's like I, I I don't know. I was just clicking through them. There was like a Wild West one, and there's I don't know. There's just so many. There's, we talked about the Cold War one this past episode. That one was Carol for Another Christmas, which I think was actually where I came across your name in the reviews on Letterboxd. Okay, yeah. Uh, so there's the the Great Depression one with Henry Winkler for 1970. That one I wish was better. So it's called An American Christmas Carol. And I what, what I appreciate about it is that they said it during – they made it a period piece. So it's still in a different era, but they spent more time kind of exploring like – the rise of mass production and the repercussions of World War One more than they actually did tell the story. That was kind of my problem. Also, it stars Henry Winkler, who was in his late 30s, and so they had to do a ton of prosthetic makeup to make him look old. I don't know why they did that. It's Fonzie Scrooge. Yeah, seriously. No, because it was during the, the peak of Happy Days as well. And so I'm like, why did you get this probably very expensive actor and put a lot of probably very expensive makeup on him when he could have just gotten someone older? Well, that's something that happens if they also want the actor to be the young Scrooge. So did they do that? Right. And he does. Yeah. Okay. I think you guys talked about Albert Finney did that. Yeah. Albert Finney plays young Scrooge. And we talked about that in our very first Christmas Carol episode was like, he puts on all these old man affectations that are annoying. And the reason that it's there is so that they can also have him be young. But it's like at that point, just have two actors. For the record, I've watched Scrooge 1970 twice now. I never noticed that he was wearing. I, I noticed that they were using some makeup to look to make him look uglier, but I didn't realize it was aging makeup, whereas the Henry Winkler one is like a full on prosthetic. Gotcha. For me, it was more that as an old Scrooge, Albert Finney is doing a silly voice. Yeah, I can see the issue you have there. But just because I'm curious, because I really like that one. Where in the pack do you have Scrooge 1970? So I, in my videos, I put it in S tier and I, I'm pulling up my list now. I now have it currently as my number seven. Okay. Oh. Respectable. Respectable. Up there. Yeah. It's only second to Muppets in terms of uh, musical versions. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then there's also one that came out on Netflix last year that's a remake of it. Yeah. We watched that. When we didn't talk about it on the pod, but Brian and I both watched it. Which where it lacks in faithfulness and all the other antics, they make up for the insanely creative animation. Mm -hmm. um, I was a real fan of that one. Uh, yeah, so Ebenezer 1998 is the Wild West version. My main issue with that one is the fact that they all the past sequences show that Scrooge was always a really horrible person. Like he robbed Fezziwig's store so that he could go on the gold rush. And so it's like usually in the past sequences, you show that things happened to him that made him grouchy. But like this is like he was always terrible. And then in the future scene, they show that he's going to murder Bob Cratchit in a shootout. And I was like, maybe a little too evil there. <laughs> Shootout with Bob Cratchit. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just reviewed on TikTok yesterday a Christmas Karen. A Christmas Karen? Yes. It came out last year. As the title implies, it's basically they put a Karen in <laughs> the, the Scrooge position. And what frustrates me is that it's a movie based off a of meme, basically. But... Well, first, they actually did a lot of really good things to connect it to the source material. Like, I think the way that they did the version of Marley worked really well. And they even included, like, the other ghosts that are in the streets. Something, like, a lot of versions don't include that. I also love, the, there's a scene in the beginning where she's asked if she would, at the cash register, if she wants to donate to a uh, shelter for homeless mothers. Why would I want to help those street walkers? They need to abstain and decrease the excess copulation. <laughs> <laughs> and so... That was a really good line, but uh, 
then it went downhill really, really quickly. And the climb, like they have this actually really good grounded story about how she didn't know that her black neighbor's daughter was dying of leukemia and all this stuff. But then it ends with her begging to Christmas future that she will stop being so Karen-ish, that she will stop calling the cops on her neighbors and she will stop asking people where the, to go back to their country. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, oh, they were so close with this one. That's pretty funny. It is kind of interesting, like how adaptable the story is. Like you can bring the themes of it to like any genre, any setting, and you can like still more or less do the story. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And that that's kind of been the fun thing with this is like there are <laughs> horror versions that I watched. There are two different Italian films that I had to watch. Probably half a dozen Hallmark movies, rom-coms. Like I said, I watched multiple ballet versions, an opera version, things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty much been adapted to practically every genre, uh, which has been fun. All of the horror ones are terrible, just in case you were wondering. All the horror ones? Yeah, the horror ones are terrible. Interesting. Does that include the 2019 miniseries? Yes. So you're down on that one. Brian, watch that. I haven't seen it. My thought was it was just very long. While it was incredibly well produced, the issue with it is that they completely don't understand the story or the character. And it clearly was trying to be edgy for edgy's sake. Oh, definitely. Not because it actually worked. Because, like, I thought it was already pretty dark that Scrooge was left alone in a schoolhouse and by, from his estranged father. But no, I guess they had to add in some child rape and animal abuse. Oh, my God. Yeah, they make the, the professor that he's living with a pederast. And then doesn't Scrooge, like, he's at least propositioning Cratchit's wife. Do they actually go all the way? Th this is when the, the entire thing was ruined. And yeah, there's the scene when Mrs. Cratchit basically begs for him to, like, loan them the money for Tiny Tim's medical expenses. And so he agrees to under the condition that she sleep with him. And so she comes over and starts undressing and he stops her and basically says that he only wanted to see if she would, if she would abandon her morals to do it. So basically he was treating it like a social experiment. Yeah, so literally they ripped it from Amadeus. But yeah. So you literally made Scrooge a supervillain, like the Joker, and it was just like completely irredeemable quality about the character. It was, it was, ugh, I hated watching it so much. It was three hours of my life. I want to get back. Something that was a little interesting was they made Tiny Tim have dwarfism. So like he was actually oh, tiny. tiny. Yeah. That's kind of stupid, but okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm actually really surprised at the number of people who agree with me about how bad it is or how unfaithful it is rather because it's like it was written by um Stephen Knight who created Peaky Blinders mm. and it very much has that same kind of feel I haven't really seen Peaky Blinders that much but it has the same kind of tone and feel but like I said if you watch a Christmas Carol movie for three hours and you leave feeling depressed then you did not tell a Christmas tale very well <laughs> yeah it's all about the redemption it's all about the God bless us everyone that should that should make your heart sore should not make you feel sad about existence. Okay, so you don't like the horror ones. What are some ones that you think get too much praise or too much love? And, and me and Brian have a distinct one on this that we just talked about. I want to see if you line up with us on that. So um, you would think I'd say Muppets, but Muppets is, is worthy of the praise it gets. It's just not worthy of the, the cult-like su support that it gets. Uh, it's at the exclusion of other Christmas carols that it becomes a problem. Exactly, yeah. One version I did not understand, that I, I had no idea there was such 
an impassioned fan base for is Barbie in A Christmas Carol, <laughs> which you guys reviewed, right? Yeah, we did last year. I made my review for it. It is my most viewed video because people are tearing me apart for it because th- I think I put it in seats here and people are just like lost their minds. And I went and said, look, the animation is really cheaply done and there's a lot of filler with cutesy animals because it's a babysitter film. And people thought said I was being disrespectful for calling the babysitter films. So I guess in that in that regard, it's a lightning rod. Don't you dare diss the Barbie. The one I wouldn't say is overrated per se, but you frequently hear people say that the 1951 film with Alistair Sim is the like the gold standard or is the best one. It remains to be the best one. And it's in my top 10. I think it's number 10, though. Basically, every two decades or so, there's like another really good one. And I think every really good one after that surpassed it, like George C. Scott and Scrooge and Muppets and Jim Carrey. Like Alistair Sim walks so those others can ran, basically. There's a lot of things about Sim's performance I didn't particularly love. Maybe it's because it's dated. I don't know. I don't usually consume many movies from the 50s. So, but again, I wouldn't call that one overrated. Okay. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, Scrooged. That's the answer. That's the answer we're looking for is Scrooged, the Bill Murray one. Nice. Brian and I both kind of trashed that one too. And honestly, what I said about Scrooge 1951 was pretty similar to what you're, you're laying, laying down too. Probably if you ask a millennial or a Gen X to name three Christmas Carol movies, Scrooge is going to be one of them, if not their favorite. And I see comments on my videos of people saying that it's their favorite or it's their, the best one or whatever. And like, not only does it not adapt the story very accurately, because it wasn't supposed to, it was a modernization, but it's also just kind of very cynical the whole time. And it's a comedy, so it didn't age well. Most comedies don't age well. So, you know, as a zillennial like me who saw it for the first time last year, I was just like, okay, like some of it was funny. There were parts I was laughing out loud. And I like the production design and stuff like that. And I, I, I'm not going to say that anyone did a bad job in it. But I don't understand the pedestal that it's put on. Mm-hmm. What we said is that it's like built around the idea that it's funny and cool for Bill Murray to be a jerk to everyone. Yeah. Like even when he's redeemed, he's still a jerk to everyone. And that's like treated as kind of default funny, cool guy behavior. Well, and it also there are two Bill Murray comedies that came out within four years of each other in which Bill Murray watches a man freeze to death and then has the chance to redo that day and prevent it. Oh, sorry. Two holiday themed movies within four years. Groundhog Day was the first movie that Brian and I both gave perfect scores to. We love Groundhog Day here. Oh, yeah. No, I I also love Groundhog Day. I, I have no problem with it. Yeah. So I guess I would say the most overrated would be Scrooged. And really just a lot of the ones that are told by existing characters. Most people prop up on a pedestal because they like those characters. Like a lot of people didn't like the fact that I didn't rate the Doctor Who Christmas Carol very high. And I was like, look, as a Doctor Who episode, it's fine. It's probably really my wife, who's the only one in this house who watches Doctor Who, says it's one of her favorite. But it's not really a Christmas Carol adaptation. It just kind of borrows some of the beats. And so but people are like trying to defend it. I'm like, but it's not an adaptation, though. It wasn't trying to be. The only I mean, I guess the only one that is told by existing characters that's even close to my top 10 is the Muppet one. Mr. Magoo, I think, is in my top 20. Uh, Mickey's is in my top 20. But other than that, there's a problem with having it told by existing characters because there's a lot of the aspects of the characters in the story that you can't tell. 
Well, I think all the characters in A Christmas Carol are like so well distinguished. Like they're each strong types that I think I agree with you, or at least I can see the reasoning that trying to bring in characters who already exist is like a tough sell because there's a very specific thing that a tiny Tim needs to be. Right. There's a very specific thing that the, the nephew needs to be. And like, if you bring in like, oh, well, we have this character, we may as well slot him in for the nephew position. But like, it doesn't work if they're not the right, you know, demeanor for the nephew. Yeah. Or any character. Yeah. You know? What the Muppets does correct is they know which characters do work for which Dickens characters. Because, I mean, the demeanor of Kermit the Frog is almost parallel to that of Bob Cratchit. Um, in fact, I read that in a in the original draft of the Muppet Christmas Carol script, the ghosts were going to be played by other Muppets. I think it was like Miss Piggy was going to be passed and Gonzo was going to be present and so something like that. And they scrapped that pretty quickly. And, you know, thank goodness they did. That would have been a disaster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like they know like, OK, these ethereal ghost characters need to be their own thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you have, you know, Sylvester and Tweety Bird be the ghosts. We talked about what, what's that one called? Bah, bah Humduck. <laughs> we covered that last year. Yeah. So we've kind of grouped them. And I'm curious if you could propose other categories, suggest other categories. But we did musicals, four musicals the first year. Right. I listened to that one. Broadly, live action ones the second year, although one turned out to have songs. That was Rich Little's Christmas Carol from 1978. Oh, you watch Rich Little's? <laughs> We did. <laughs> kind of an oddball one in there. I don't think we knew what we were getting into when we lined that one up with the other live action ones. Sorry, I laugh because I do not understand that one because <laughs> I don't know 70s pop culture. I recognized four of the people <laughs> that he was impersonating. That's like exactly the conversation we had, too. Yeah. Who was the one that that we didn't know about Brian and then we came back we're like oh that's who that is so you I don't think recognize Paul Lind Dan oh that's right yeah and the one that I did not recognize was the guy from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea whose name is James what Mason oh he's also Stars Born James Mason yeah yeah I know who he is now that was the one I couldn't place gotcha but then last year it was all licensed characters like you were talking about we did Flintstones Barbie, Daffy Duck, and Mickey. And Magoo, right? We did Magoo and Muppets as part of the musical. Oh, from the Muppets, right, right, that's right. Along with Scrooge 1970 and the 2004 Alan Menken version with Frasier as Scrooge. Right, right. And then this year, the gimmick was all more contemporary set ones. So we watched Scrooge. We watched the um, the Ryan Reynolds one, Spirited, that just came out, and we watched It's Christmas Carol, the Hallmark. The movie. Hallmark one, yeah, yeah, like Carrie Fisher one. Yeah, yeah, Carrie. She plays yeah. all three ghosts and Marley. That was kind of kind of interesting. Not the only film to do that. Oh, really? Not at all. No, especially once you get into the the really obscure TV films. And then, oh, the last one was the. Uh, carol for another christmas okay yeah which it just occurred to me as we were talking about the beat of them going out on the boat that that one actually has him going out on a boat but not in christmas present in christmas past exactly yeah yeah well some somehow some way you have to include like you know if i was the one telling you which ones to do this year i would have swapped out i, I would have put in the henry winkler one you have to somehow figure out i guess you've done musical have you done animated ones 
You did pre-existing characters. Were those all animated, though, Brian? I can't remember. Well, so Barbie, Daffy, Magoo were all animated. And Flintstones. And Flintstones. Flintstones. Well, I would recommend animated ones because you would get the Jim Carrey one. And then you would get what is, in my opinion, inarguably the most faithful to the book. It's not Muppets. It's not Jim Carrey. It is an animated short film from 1971. Richard Williams. Yes. I love that one. That's in my top four Christmas Carol movies. Oh, great. Yeah. I think that's also in my top four, my top five. That is one I have not seen. Dan has plugged it. I got to see it. My only beef with it is it's a little short, so all the beats are super rushed, but it's terrific in tone. That is the its major downside. So the story with that one is it was made as a TV special, but then it was so well received, they put it in theaters. And because they put it in theaters, it was eligible for the Oscars, and then it won Best Animated Short. And then that actually caused some a stir in the Academy for the fact that it was made to be for te- television. And so they had to like adjust the rules mm. because of that. But if that movie was given the budget and the time to be made feature length, it would be the best one without question because it's that fast pacing. And then some of the the harsh, uh, harsh, unfinished animation, I think you can tell some of it was a stylistic choice, but some of it was because of budgetary issues. Um But that one, there is not a single line of dialogue, character description, scenery, anything like that, that is not directly out of the book. And that's the one that it does the jaw. Not enough of them do the jaw of Marley. Doesn't he like in the book, like distend his jaw down or something like that? It says, yeah, it says that he, he removes the bandage and his jaw falls onto his breast. And so many versions do that. The, uh, the 2019 miniseries took it a bit too far. Um, and I think uh, the the way they do it, the Jim Carrey one, it's very cringy to me. Uh, but I guess looping back around to suggest more categories, I would do animation because you have those ones. And then there's no shortage of like a direct-to-video versions that are done. Some are way better than others. There's one from, I think, 2001 that actually has Nicolas Cage as Marley. But, oh, as Marley. I was going to say Scrooge. As Marley, yeah. My brain thought, like, just for a quarter of a second imagined nick cage's scrooge and i was about to like stop this interview so i could go look down the file <laughs> yeah that one got torn apart on letterboxd and i don't know why uh, but yeah there's see there's like uh brer rabbits christmas carol and uh, a lot of those animated ones just i think there, there was one that was like made by an anime studio like it's in english and for the most part it doesn't look like anime but it like there are times where it's like that was very clearly like made by the same kind of studio okay yeah i'm thinking maybe you know we should have swapped in henry winkler and expunged jettisoned the it's christmas comma carol because after i watched that one on amazon it queued up carol's christmas and then after that there was a carol christmas oh no did you watch either of them i watched carol's christmas you watched carol's christmas that is my bottom one or two Wow. I could not believe how bad it was. Okay, what's so bad about okay, it? Okay, so it's it's supposed to be a modernization. And so it basically looks like a student film. And so Carol is, you know, this modern black woman who works for a tax agency or something. And the twist is that instead of Fred being a family member, Fred is this guy trying to hit on her. But they use like the same dialogue of like, oh, Merry Christmas. Oh, what reason have you to be merry? You're you're rich enough, but like, you know, if they do it in an alley or something. And so like half the film is like verbatim from the book. And then the other half is absolutely not. And it makes no sense. And 
I don't remember what happens in the middle, but it, it ends with Carol being redeemed, walks out her door, and then Fred shoots her. <laughs> and then credits roll. <laughs> and then that's not even the worst part. So the credits rolled. My jaw was agape because I couldn't believe how horrible it was. And then I noticed I was watching the credits. I'm like, there's no way more than five people worked on this. And I'm like, there's no way they had a gaffer and a production <laughs> line unit and all this stuff. And then I noticed the names were names like Amy Pascal and Anthony Mackie. And I was like, hold up. And so then when it gets to the part where the credits start rolling after the cast list, the credits are suddenly a different font and size, and it includes things like stunt coordinators and VFX houses from Korea and catering services and the MPAA logo, even though it didn't have an MPAA rating. And I was like, what is this? And so I looked up random names for the credits, and they straight up stole five minutes of footage from another film from, I think it was Angel Has Fallen from 2019. And it's like, it's copy pasted the same credits footage. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And it's eight minutes long. <laughs> That's crazy. And also, it did not have anywhere in the credits the uh, – they didn't credit Last Christmas I Gave You My Heart or uh, All I Want for Christmas is You, which leads me to believe that those were used illegally. So basically, they stole music and stole footage, and somehow it ended up on Amazon Prime. I don't understand. Amazing. <laughs> so I think there's room for an all-carol sampler and maybe make one a Karen. Yeah, toss Karen on there. We'll get the, the Carols and the Karens. Yeah, you could do that. I, you could also do either Hallmark movies or just television films in general. There's actually quite a few re like really creative television films, some that are better than others. Like Spirited is not the first time that there's been a movie where they established that all the ghosts actually work for a corporation that target a new person every year. There's a TV movie from like 2002, I think, called Chasing Christmas. Basically, they do that and then past just kind of decides that he's done with everything and goes rogue. And so they have to like travel through time to try to find him. There's another really great one, Carol's. So Carol with a K, like K-A-R-R-O-L-L, -L, Carol's Christmas. And in that one, the ghosts actually haunt the wrong guy where they like show up to his nephew and like, you know, come with us, Zeb. I think it was his name, Zeb. It was uh, uh, Sean Wallace. Oh, I love Sean Wallace. Yeah. I saw your review on that one on Letterboxd, and the Scrooge character, his name is Rose Cog, which is an anagram of Scrooge. Oh, I didn't get that. Yeah, so so the, the main guy is just a normal looking, just normal guy who just kind of hates everyone. And so the, the ghosts show up. It's like, oh, this is great. I need someone to, to tell me how to fix my life. And then they're like, all right, come with us, Rose Cog. It's like, oh, no, that's that's the guy across the street. And Marley's like, are you sure? No, this is 613. Yeah, no, this you're you're Rose Cog. We're, and so they just keep doing the whole thing. <laughs> and they're showing this other guy's life to him. <laughs> so that one that one was really creative. I, I really appreciated that one. So the only one in the top ten that we haven't mentioned is there is one that came out in 2020 that is on Amazon Prime, and it is a ballet version, kind of. So it's up there with the animated short in terms of accuracy to the book. And so it's the type of ballet where they have the dialogue voiced over. So it has a narrator. It has the dialogue voiced over, but all of the actors are on stage doing it. Interpretive dances, basically. And it's kind of an acquired taste. It can get really old really quick if you don't know how to watch ballet. But they have like Andy Serkis as Marley and um, Martin Freeman as Cratchit as the voices, as the voices. Okay. Um, but that one is probably second to the short in terms of accuracy, because not only do they have a narrator who reads 
the pros, but they also include visuals of a lot of the details that are left out. Like they show Martha Cratchit working at the hat factory and like a bunch of details like that. So that one's fantastic. The only downside is I was bored halfway through it, which is sad because I actually like theater and Christmas Carol and stuff. And then in terms of other like niche gems that when you asked earlier, I totally forgot to mention uh, Scrooge and Marley 2012. So there's two films called Scrooge and Marley. One of them is from 2001 and it's, it's awful. It's, it's not, it doesn't even adapt the story, but there's one from 2012 called Scrooge and Marley and it is a gay adaptation. It's a queer variation of it. And so Ben Scrooge is the owner of a gay bar. And as a film, it's awful. <laughs> um, it's not a very well-made film. It's very cheap looking. They go through a lot of cliches. And I even had an older gay friend of mine watch it. And he said he turned it off after 20 minutes. <laughs> and so it's not very good. But in terms of like these kind of niche variations of it, that's that's one that's out there. I love it when they can just bring some new total spin on it you haven't thought of. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's there's gems out there of these TV movies. and I think we should do, if we get like maybe six or seven years in, Brian, we should do an all-silence year too. Silent movies. Yeah, there's not much to talk about. There's If you saw, I don't know if you saw, I, I put out a TikTok a couple of days ago of summarizing all the silent ones. So there's there's eight films that were made between 1901 and 1928. Two of them are lost. So of the six, they're all either they're between six minutes and 50 minutes, basically. But I lumped all six into one 60 second video because there's not a lot to talk about. Gotcha. So maybe that would be a short episode if we did that one, Brian. So I want to listen to more of your reviews. I also I want to see the ranking when the ranking happens. Yes, this is I'm going to like shout this to the mountaintops. Here's our, our whisper of of Christmas Carol. Maybe one year we'll do like our. The, the four highest rated Ben Stanley ones that we still haven't talked about on the pod or something. Right. right? Yeah. It's going to be the definitive list. I don't know that I will have a YouTube video out this year because I've been doing the short reviews. Art takes time. Yeah. But then I'll definitely have a list on Letterboxd. Okay. Uh, a ranked list. Uh, and then if nothing else, like on Christmas Eve or something, I'll post a really long video on Instagram or TikTok or something just reading my ranking. But another gem to check out is a VHS Christmas Carol. Star Kid. Star Kid, yeah. That one I think is like number 12 or 11 on my list. I was blown away by that. You're talking Brian's language here. Yeah, I fell behind years ago on Star Kid and I got to catch up. And I've just been intimidated because each one is Broadway length. Well, this one's not. It's 45 minutes. The the thing is, I've only, I only know Star Kid from Harry Potter and Twisted. So I assume this would be some kind of comedy. But it's, it's actually very straightforward and it tells the story. And the only thing is that they make it look like it's an 80s music video, <laughs> but it's not really they don't ham it up like they, t they t tell it very straight and the music is fantastic. Yeah, that that one is a, a definite, definite high recommend. And then if you want another uh, YouTube video to recommend, uh, one of my guilty pleasures is Epic Rap Battles of History. And in 2015, they did a rap battle between. Ebenezer Scrooge and Donald Trump and <laughs> emphasize the fact that this was 2015 when Donald Trump had a very different reputation, but it's actually just the story of Christmas Carol and Trump is, is Marley basically. Interesting. And then uh, JP Morgan comes in as the ghost of rich dudes past. And then Kanye West comes in as the ghost of what's right now. And then you just have the grim reaper for future, but it tells the whole story in two and a half minutes 
and it's actually like surprisingly well done. Huh. So that's not officially in my ranking, but I just have it in there anyway. Yeah, I would watch two and a half minutes of, of that. I would recommend if you're inclined to check out other Star Kid shows, you should watch Starship, which is their one that is a tribute to like, it's kind of a mashup of Little Mermaid and Starship Troopers. Okay. Another direction you can go is woman-led versions. So like I said, you could do the carols because It's Christmas Carol is a good one. But like I said, there's Diva's Christmas Carol. Uh, Ms. Scrooge is another great one. So literally all of the Hallmark ones have some kind of woman lead and most of them are terrible um, because it's just the same Hallmark formula. But some of them are actually really good, like the It's Christmas Carol and stuff. I could also tell you uh, Nashville Christmas Carol is, I think, maybe the worst one because it actually just degrades the story to the point where Charles Dickens is turning in his grave so much it's basically like a combine. <laughs> that one and Scrooge and Marley 2001 are the only ones that I think actually degrade the story. So before we wrap here, just off the top of your head, you don't need to think too much about it. Three beats that you get excited to, that you got to see, or you get excited to see. We talked about ignorance and want. That was a great pull. What are, what are two or three other like things that you're looking for when you, when you turn one of these on? The three plot points that will automatically make the movie better in my mind mm -hmm. is ignorance and want the scene immediately after Marley's visit in which they see all the other ghosts in the city and any of the scenes with present that aren't about Cratchit or Fred. Um, Cause there's a couple there's like when they're going around the street and he's sprinkling his, you know, water of good cheer to other people. And a lot of people have included the detail where they're, Poor people are lined up to get their food cooked at the bakery. And then there's the flying to the different ships and the lighthouse and, and things like that. So and those are all details that both Jim Carrey and Muppets leave out. And so I guess Muppets does it a little bit with the musical number. But if any three of those make it in like instant respect, basically, which is why it frustrates me that two of those are in a Christmas Karen and the <laughs> movie was still bad. <laughs> those are no, those are good pulls. So you go for the deep cuts. Those, that's what gets you excited. Is you like Definitely, when they pull yeah. out the obscure lore? Maybe I'm gonna become. If I ever become a film director, uh, I'm gonna make my like definitive. I'll call it the Ben Stanley cut, where we we make sure that every scene is included, so that every you can go point to a line and say, "Oh, there he, they did it! Thank goodness they did it!" It's like if they did the 1971 full length, it, we'll do something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Did you guys review Ross Kemp's Ross Kemp from 2000? No. Oh, you really should have done that this year. With I, I think that's the best version that modernizes it. What's it called? Lost Kemp's? Uh, so no, so it's called The Christmas Carol, but it's the lead is Ross Kemp. Oh, Ross Kemp. Gotcha. He I guess is a a big soap opera star in the 90s, but it's the only modernization I think that does it right because Scrooge is like a loan shark, and pretty much all of the character relationships are the same. And they make some creative liberties, but that one I think sticks to like that whole category I have on the spirit and the purpose of Dickens' story. Like they definitely capture that correct. Nice. That's another one for us to look up. That and Patrick Stewart I want to check out. Yeah. Cool. This has been illuminating. Thank you for joining us here. I'm glad that we found someone who is obsessed and fascinated with this story as much as we are. Brian, it's been like there have been a handful of things that I've taken away from my time talking with Brian about movies for weeks on end now across more than three years. 
And one of them is an appreciation for a Christmas Carol. So glad, always talk, good to talk to a fellow Scrooge head, a Carol head. Yes. What do, what do we call ourselves if we like a Christmas Carol? I, I don't know. I don't know. Neezers. Neezers. Oh, like a miser, but. No, well, I was thinking like Ebenezer. Oh, Neezers. Interesting. Oh, Neezers. We'll workshop it. We don't need to lock <laughs> in on it right now. Yeah. So what, what's something you can pitch to us? Where can we come find you and learn more about your, your art or your, your, the videos you make? I'm on basically all social media at have you been. So how have you been? That's where I'm on TikTok and Instagram. I think that's my YouTube handle technically, but cinematic scribbles is my business name for my artwork. Uh, I do a lot of fan conventions and then cinematicscribbles.com is where all of my artwork is. Cinema scribbles cinematic scribbles cinematic scribbles yes that's pretty cool i'm definitely going to go check out your art and i will follow you on the the socials i use and i will drop your link in our discord anyone is welcome to join our discord listeners come find us at the goodsfilmpodcast.com ben thank you very much for for joining us it's been a pleasure i hope our paths cross again in the future, maybe we can find another way to sync up on the Christmas, Christmas Carol at some point. This was a lot of fun. Definitely. A good get. Thank you. You're, you're a hotshot in, in our hearts for watching 130 Christmas Carols. Those are those are some good wrecks. Thank you for, for trotting them out. Uh, one last thing I'll throw out there. Is there someone that you want to see play Scrooge, an actor, who hasn't yet played Scrooge? You know, I have never put any thought into this, and I don't think I need to after seeing Patrick Stewart. Okay. Um, you just think he, he is he? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't even say it. Is he your favorite Scrooge? Do you have a favorite Scrooge? Um, I do plan on doing like a top 10 Scrooge list. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if I can say that he is the best Scrooge, but he is undoubtedly the best actor who has played Scrooge. Mm. The, the acting performance he gives is fantastic. There's a lot of like subtle things that he does. My favorite detail from it is in the book, it says that he lets out a laugh when he wakes up in the morning at the end and his his laugh is out of practice. And so there's this whole thing that he does where he starts laughing and he starts like choking because he's not used to how laughter feels. And I know that sounds funny describing it out loud like that, but it's like it, it's really – and like you can see, he's like he's not totally comfortable being generous, but like he's doing his best and so – yeah, pa- Patrick Stewart is is top tier for me for that one. I I have not thought about I don't know what what did you who did you guys say I think it was in your first review you had Hugh Jackman was was my pitch. Oh yes, man, I didn't even remember you said that. I would like to see a Hugh Jackman Scrooge. I just found out there's a Hugh Jackman Oklahoma. I got to track down and watch that. Yeah, well, and that that would be the right age range. Most people think that Scrooge is like in the 70s or 80s, but it, the the book doesn't specifically say. But so many details point to the fact that he was probably in his 50s. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I thought the way they portrayed him in the Scrooge 1970 remake on Netflix was kind of refreshing. Like, he wasn't very old. Like He was kind of like a hot Scrooge. I don't know. That's what everyone keeps saying. Well, I think it should be a midlife crisis story, too. Yeah. Yeah, because Michael Caine, when he played it in Muppets, mm-hmm. was probably in his 40s or 50s. And it's like, he could play it again as old Michael Caine, like... What Michael Caine looks like now is probably what most people think of when they think of Scrooge, but he was actually the perfect age in the 90s. Right. Because the whole point is that he lives to see Tiny Tim grow up is really the the big thing here. And the fact that he's still relatively young makes the fact that he's going to die soon, like the future showing that he, he is going to die soon, more shocking. 
I think it's spirited in the Wilf in the Ryan Reynolds one. They make a joke where he says, "Oh yeah, and I died three and a half weeks later." I was like, "Yeah, that's not what happens." <laughs> but <laughs> whatever. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Ben. And have a what's a line I could whip out right now? Think of a good one, Brian. And hold the spirit of Christmas in your heart and try to keep it all the year. There you go. No, good one. That's good. Yeah. Kind of a mouthful, but you know, that works. <laughs> we can make a text abbreviation of it, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. And Brian and listeners, thanks for joining as well. This is this was a fun little one-off in honor of our annual tradition. And go check out Ben's stuff. Bye everyone. Mm-hmm.